0: All right, well guys, it's uh, good to be with you tonight. We're going to finish up <clears throat> our study here, uh, 2 Timothy, and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to get my spectacles out. <clears throat> so we've been in chapter 2, chapter 2 verses 24 through 26. We're almost done, so it may not be worth your while to have a handout, but does anyone need a handout? Okay, it's good to have you back. You feeling better? No I feel mon- horrible No when pneumonia. I didn't come. No, that's, that's I we understand. Yeah, we're still on that. I think we're at... Yeah, we're just we only got one, one Yeah, we've got one blank to fill in, so this will be a short session. Not All right. So, uh we'll uh finish this up. So, just to kind of help you review um um if you want to try to get the blanks, I'm sure Belinda can help you, Sharon. But this is session number eight. Identify as a faithful uh, servant. So we're on servant, which if you look on the the list on your handout, that's the ninth one. So we're coming to the end of this uh, exhortation on uh, all the different attributes listed in chapter chapter two. And we saw point A that a faithful servant of the Lord identifies. With his Lord, <clears throat> we talked about that, and we actually ran through that list above those first nine those eight really build up to to number nine, and we're all just servants of the lord and then we saw that a a, a faithful servant point B must uh, of the Lord uh, must not <clears throat> strive uh, with fools, which is easier said than done <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and so the Lord's uh, servants uh, are lovers, uh, not fighters. So the Lord's servants, the word there number one is servants, are lovers, not fighters. And then um, number two, we are not um, we are not to withhold the fruit of the Spirit from any man. We're not to withhold. The fruit of the Spirit from any man and a faithful servant of the Lord must, uh, point C, you might get that, instruct those that oppose themselves. Yeah, instruct those that oppose themselves. And it may, uh, point one there it may seem strange to think that Paul is, is telling a, um, servant or a slave to be apt to teach, and we got, talked about that, uh, but that wasn't uncommon at those times. So a lot of the Jewish, a lot of the instructors were Jewish, even though they were indentured servants. Uh, and then point two is the word apt, a-p-t, to teach, comes from the gr- Greek word, uh, uh, didacticos, I think is how I say that, and uh, like didactic. Um, and which is where the English word didactic meaning intended to teach, particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive, so that comes from they 're apt to teach Point three is this is a principle that is not reserved for uh, pastors only but to all saints so uh, and then so for pastors but all saints, and then number four is uh, so, so now that we understand why we must be patient that 's similar to the fruit of the uh, uh, of long suffering, found in Galatians 5:22, and that brings us to point five. I think that's where we left off. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So, um, let's go ahead then, and we'll look at the text and finish up our outline uh, and be done tonight. So, Second Timothy chapter two. And, uh, and by the way, uh, did Ron, did fill, did you fill in last week, Ron? Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm sure, it was outstanding. Uh, so, Second Timothy chapter two. Um, let's go ahead and, and uh, look here at our text in verse 25 and uh, wrap wrap this thing up. So it says, uh, well, let's back up a little bit. I'll go ahead and back up to verse 15." Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly divine the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they which <coughs> for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will he eat at doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from the He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Free also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they will gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient." Verse 25, and this is where we're picking it up. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word It's true. Thank you for time tonight to praise your name. As, uh, rejoice, rejoice, uh, Emmanuel. Lord, we thank you so much for coming to this earth. Thank you for the great... Um, uh, opportunities we have right now to, to uh, just partake in praying together. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your word tonight. Thank you for just loving us and giving us your son Jesus. Giving us a great day of worship today. We pray a blessing on the reading the hearing and the application of your word and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so Number five, of course, you know what that's going to say because that's in the text. In meekness instructing those who oppose themselves. That's where we left off. And so uh, meekness is not weakness. It's uh, governing your power and understanding, understanding that there are some who oppose themselves. And so what that means is there is uh, there is <coughs> uh, this is their problem and you need to show pity, not enmity. I literally just had a conversation with someone about this today. Uh, and that's again, it's easy when you're not in the midst of something to, to give others counsel. But I do understand how hard this can be at times. So, so if they don't correct it, uh, we have pity, knowing that they will live with the consequences. So we are gentle and approach with meekness, knowing that they are in a position to face the wrath and the judgment of God. <laughs> and so, um, and so you really have to. That also implies that you have a position of faith, because you got to believe that God is is true, right? That he's faithful. That He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And, of course, then he's also going to reward those that don't. So God has already told Paul to move on to the Gentiles. Uh, but Paul loved his foolish Hebrew brothers and kept going back because they just didn't understand the truth of Scripture. So eventually, they opposed themselves, not Paul. So he had to allow them to reap what they sowed. There was a point where Paul just literally had to say, That's enough. I am going to go ahead and let you have what you want. Uh, Many years ago, we had a, we teach this principle in discipleship too, based on old, it's an Old Testament reference we use in D2, but it's a New Testament principle. I just laid it out right here. That's what Paul's talking about. Um, there are some that just oppose themselves, and at some point, there's not much you can do. You can gently and meekly, uh, instruct them but at the end of the day they're going to do what they want to do and so uh, that was, for some reason someone got sideways about that because how can a good God allow people to do that I'm like he can and he does he did it with Israel he'll do it, do it with us if we insist on being knuckleheads he'll let us be a knucklehead and uh, the saying, you know, give them enough rope to hang themselves, is is true. I mean, God will allow them to be a fool in their folly until such a time as He determines that's no longer necessary, and then they'll reap what they sow. The, 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 uh, the law of sowing and reaping. So, so, so then, because we have the truth and we know that God is just and He's true and He's merciful and He's gracious and He's kind, then we should also be gracious and kind and merciful because we also really believe that God will pull the trigger when He's ready. And at that point, we don't pity, I mean, we don't want to, we don't, as the saying goes, I don't wish that upon my enemy, right? So, we should have an understanding that, but by the grace of God, there go I, right? So, so we should have some compassion, uh, and understanding and be gentle and, and be patient. That doesn't mean we have to put up, right? That's really the balance you see here. Paul is saying, don't put up with all this. I mean, you gotta, some of these people you gotta rebuke sharply. But, at the end of the day, you, you do understand that ultimately, they're opposing themselves. They're hurting themselves. And so these are things that are important for the man of God, especially, you know, Timothy now is going to take on the mantle of Paul and uh, he has to get these things down and he also has to teach them to others uh, in his environment. He'll be preaching in Ephesus, which is uh, the key church. It's the hub for Uh, Asia, And so he really has to get all this down. And so eventually they oppose themselves, not Paul. So in Acts 18, the Bible says, and I put that verse there, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was present in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. And so uh there was a pastor I know up in North Missouri he left his church he he said you know what I've been here I've circled this wagon long enough I've I've gone around this not long enough and we're not moving anywhere so I'm going to move along and he decided that, that was the lord telling him to you know what these folks aren't getting discipleship or whatever now, I'm not saying, I don't know, God will judge it. I have no idea. But that was his opinion, so he's like, I'm moving on to another church. And that's the, uh, you know, now I don't know, I don't know, God will judge all that. But th- that's what Paul did with the Jews. He preached to them long enough and said, well, time to move on to the Gentiles. Why? Because they're open. They're open to it. I remember when uh, Dave Pierce I was getting his call to, to reach internationals. Um, man, he was like, man, Brian, I'm not sure I can stay in America and be a Christian. <laughs> and I know what he meant by that. Because once you, you travel enough, you get out and you just see how hungry people are for the word. Uh, and that's not saying that America is not worthy of investment, because it obviously is, and there's great people and great churches here. Uh, but there was a certain uh, readiness to receive the word uh, that, that just drew, still is drawing him. By the way, a good report on Dave and Joan uh, down in Columbia, South Carolina. He's still ministering to internationals, and I was thoroughly impressed with the scope of his influence down there it 's amazing how a transplant can drop into a town like that, and he's he 's probably as or more connected there than he was here with internationals it's it 's a gift there 's no doubt about it it 's a good hand of God on his life it 's neat too to see his family uh, Anne and joan are are both involved in all that and and so it 's just uh, it 's really neat just to see how god is is blessing him. And, and continuing in that call, he's in a different season of life, but he's still uh, working for the Lord and, and uh, fulfilling this mission there. So, uh, and so you get what Paul's saying here. And that that phrase I I, I put eight, uh, Acts 18 there on purpose because it's exactly the same words he uses: oppose themselves. So he uses it in Acts 18, and he uses it here. Uh, and so, of course, we can understand that Paul had that relationship with those Judaizers who would not receive the gospel but continue to just oppose themselves. And, of course, also, uh, you know, cause harm to the church. That's why he had to write the book of Galatians. So it's a sad day when the servant of the Lord has to say, okay, yeah, have it your way, you know, and uh, this will all shake out in eternity. I'm moving on. So sadly, I've had those uh, gentle conversations with uh, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and, and others along the way. And uh, And the conclusion of the conversation is one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And in my estimation, you're making a big mistake, you know, in rejecting the truth of the Word of God. And we don't have to be mean about it or, or, or ugly. Um, as a matter of fact, it's it's really you can be very sober about that if you really connect with them at a heart level. And I've had two. I had a, a Mormon at my door. I haven't seen any actually since then. It was a young Asian Mormon that came by, and we had that. He was really bright, so I just cut to the chase with him. I said, "Hey, let's not go through all the r- rigmarole here. Let's just cut to the chase. You, you do believe that, you know, your church teaches that Lucifer is the brother of Jesus? Is that correct?" Because that is correct. I, do you really believe that? I do believe that. Okay, then you have another Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. So we were able to get right down to the details of. We're talking about two different Jesuses and he, and I did that not because I didn't like him, because I did like the guy. He was really bright and I could tell he was a a bright guy. He knew his doctrine. He knew what he was doing. So we just cut to the chase and very, you know, graciously I just told him we came to that point. I'm like, well, the problem is, is we have two different authorities and one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And if I'm right, this is where, this is the deal. Uh, and if you're right, then really, I'm on my way. You know? And so, uh, you really need to consider this message of the gospel. So, I had a very similar conversation with a Jehovah Witness. A really, another really sharp young man came by, uh, this a couple of years ago. And, uh, he wanted to get into a Greek tetragrammaton discussion with me. And I just happened to be studying. It was a Saturday, so I was working on my message for the next day. And I said, hold up. And I ran downstairs and got my phone, came up, and I have Esau on it, and I popped open the passage that he was taking out of context from, from Daniel. And he was using some passage. He was saying in the Tetragrammaton, which is, a, which is basically the Septuagint, it says this. And so I was like, well, wait a minute. And I popped open my E-sword and hit it. And I'm like, well, the Masoretic text says this. And one of us is right, again, and one of us is wrong. And I began to teach him uh, a dispensational view of the Bible and i said look your church is taking the promises of israel and they're and they're twisting them and it's not even right this is what the masoretic clearly says and he his eyes were like saucers he'd never heard Heard this before? I didn't even know it until he showed up at the door. I never had anyone bring this up, so I don't, don't remember the exact passage, but I could tell from what he was quoting that it was out of context. And so, uh, anyway, so we I walked him through that. Well, what if the Bible is actually talking to Israel historically, and that He still has promises for Israel in the future, and that there's a an, and I explained to him why Jesus came and died, and all, I ran through the gospel with him. And man, he was I could tell he was like not he had never heard this before. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, he chose to go with Jehovah's Witnesses and the, the Watchtower Society and all of that. And so, you know what, you can't really do much with people that do that. They oppose themselves. Both those gentlemen, we, we kind of agreed to disagree, but I just let them both know that I, I hope they understand very clearly that if I'm right, I really am concerned for your soul. And you really need to take into consideration what what we've talked about here today, so of course, I believe i 'm right, uh, not because i 'm right, but because this is what the Word of God clearly teaches, so it 's a sad day when this, when when we have to say, "Okay, have it your way, you know uh, it is sad now, of course, with the uh, the Judaizers that Paul was dealing with, they were a little bit more cantankerous, so he may have been a little bit more ready to go. Have it your way guys i 'm out of here, but he was ready to go, so sadly, there are times that we just have we have these conversations with Christians as well. Uh, many false teachers exist even among the ranks of the saints, and they simply won 't trust scripture over their experience and that 's also a frustration you know the uh, people clinging on to experience over truth um, and uh, it 's just sad so that brings me to point D, which is our final point and you're, and you waited. Uh, all this week for this. I know all week long you couldn't wait. Two weeks now. You couldn't wait to get the point D on this outline. So here we go. Uh, the faithful servant of the Lord must trust God for the results. And that brings us to the end of the text. So he says there again, we'll read it again, 25, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance through the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So the faithful servant of the Lord must trust God for the results. And there's a lot of... The, I'm starting to sound like a Calvinist here now as I read the end of this because the servant of the Lord is not to judge. God is. God's the ultimate judge. And, uh, and, he, and that's where Paul leaves it. He leaves it in God's hands. Ultimately, the fool must answer to God. And we do pray they repent for their foolishness before it's too late. But that's really all we can do. Uh, and this is not necessarily speaking to someone uh, getting saved, uh, though that could be the case if, if they're foolish enough to reject the gospel. And I think we've all probably visited and witnessed to people like that as well. Um, this is dealing, though, with, with all those who don't receive the love of the truth. And right now, as we're approaching this time in history, this is really important because Second Thessalonians speaks to that as well. The wrath of God abides upon the children of disobedience, and it behooves them to repent of false teaching and receive the truth before it's too late. So this word peradventure indicates that the ball is in their court to make a decision. In Genesis, the word "peradventure" is used first when Abraham speaks to God about Lot and his family in Sodom, back in Genesis eighteen twenty-four. Abraham knew judgment was it was going to fall on Sodom, and he desperately wanted Lot and his family out. And you know, you remember that story, right? So he goes making it. He plays make a deal with God, and as as the Lord's servant, he gently beseeched the Lord to spare Sodom for the righteous souls which remain. Of course, Abraham started with fifty righteous souls and ended up being just Lot, but Abraham was humble. Trying to change God's mind about, um, uh, he was trying to change God's God's mind about de- destroying Sodom and Gomorrah because he didn't want to see Lot and his family perish. He wanted God to repent of wrath. Uh, because he loved Lot and his family. And so, um, of course, God didn't change his mind, but he was entreated of Abraham. Uh, there's no doubt Paul is thinking of this as he thinks about the souls of the Jews and the Greeks alike that will perish if they don't change their hearts and minds about the gospel. They need to repent. They need to change their mind and receive the gospel. So likewise, we see in Genesis 50 and verse 15 that the brothers of Joseph feared that Joseph would change his mind right about sparing his brothers and exact vengeance upon them now that jacob was dead and joseph a type of christ is is not fickle like that because he's like christ so he forgave his brothers and he said it when he said it he meant it and uh because he's a picture of Christ. So he forg- he forgave his brothers. He saw their sin in light of God's providence. He said, uh, this is how Jesus, view-, or I'm sorry, I'm saying this. This is how Jesus views us. Though we placed him on the cross with our sins, he does not repent of the love that he has for the Father. And the Father doesn't repent of the love that he has for us. And praise God for that. Amen. Because our sins are, as we talked about this morning, they are nailed to his cross. So." Um, uh, and so the the, the foundation of uh, our foundation stands sure, uh, even when we don't, even when we're wavering, God is not. So the King James Bible publishing gang uh, included a great illustration in the margin of the Oxford Bible in Daniel 4.27. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 opens with a, a repentant Nebuchadnezzar telling his own story of repentance. Uh, and that's a lovely thing to hear—a uh, story of repentance, how God brought us from darkness to light, from sin to, to the Savior. I was excited this morning to see little um, Alexis Neely get baptized, and that's, that was her story. Uh, literally, just she just found us. She hadn't been here since she was 10 years old, and uh, says she got saved at that time. But God's gotten a hold of her heart, and she knows she needs to follow Him wholeheartedly. And man, she's, she's here. I mean, she just shows up. That's re- it's called repentance. <laughs> and so, uh, it's amazing, uh, to see God work in someone's heart like that. And so, uh, be praying for that young lady, by the way. And so uh, we need to make sure that God's good hands upon her as she goes forward. But Daniel chapter 4 that he opens with that and, and God brought us from darkness to light uh, from sin to the Savior. So Nebuchadnezzar was given grace by God as he heard the interpretation of the vision in Daniel 9 or Daniel 428 through30 and reveals that, that uh, despite understanding intellectually that Jehovah reigned, he didn't submit himself to his authority. Right? He understood that, but he really wasn't going to submit to it. So we find the moment he exalted himself above God, as the words came out of his mouth, uh, God struck him down, causing him to, to graze as a beast for seven years. And this was... uh an eight-year process from the time he heard the vision until the time he finally and forever changed both his heart and his mind about who God was. So some guys are hard to come to, you know, hard to come around like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but he did. By the way, one of the greatest types of the anti of Antichrist in the Bible is also a wonderful picture of somebody who who received the gospel, so to speak, in an Old Testament sense, who came to, who came to understand that Jesus truly was Lord, and so. Uh that's an amazing thing that God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. So we see Paul preach the message of repentance in Acts seventeen, twenty through thirty, twenty two through thirty. After setting forth the gospel, he concludes in Acts seventeen thirty, which I even mentioned this morning, that God commands all men everywhere to repent. And what's most instructional is the response to the message, right? Getting back around to what we're talking about here at the end of chapter 2. In Acts 17.32, it says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. And so that's what they were that's what they were contemplating. Is they were contemplating if they were going to, going to repent. Uh, they'd received the instruction, but what were they going to do with it? Well, some said, Well, I'm going to hear thee again of this, peradventure. Maybe they will receive it, maybe they won't. We don't know. But Paul did what he was supposed to do. And there's no indication that Paul thought twice about it. He gave the message. He laid it out there. And then he's, I'm off to Corinth. And that's where I'm going. You guys in Athens, you have the truth. You're going to have to deal with it. Howbeit, certain men, in verse 34, clave unto him and believed. So there was fruit. Uh, which one repented? That's a good question, isn't it? Which one's repented? Well, the ones that heard and believed are the ones that repented. Uh, the ones that would actually receive the message and believe it. Those were the repentant ones. Those that didn't were not repentant. Uh, they may have heard it and understood it, but they didn't. They didn't act on it. So no one else but you can do your business with God. In Second 2 Timothy 2:26, 2. that's what he's saying, and and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Not that they got to work their way out, but they got to trust Jesus. They got to believe who are taken captive by Him at His will. There's decisions that must be made. So no one else but you can do business with God. In Matthew 21, Jesus encouraged the Jewish leadership to change their mind uh, about what they believe about him being the Messiah. And he shared this parable with them in Matthew 21:28. But th- what think ye, a certain man had two sons, and he, and, uh, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he, re- he repented and went. So what did he do? He changed his heart and his mind, and then his, act, his actions changed after that. So regardless, if God is calling uh, someone to salvation or repentance from other, some other uh, attitude or action or idea that's quenching or grieving the spirit, the only person who can change your heart and mind is you. And that's not Calvinistic. So not even God will do that for you because he desires a relationship with you to be based in love. And he wants you to love him and love what he says. So God gives us a way to escape the devil's snare, but we must choose to believe and receive it. So God's sharp sword, uh, God's word is a sharp two-edged sword that cuts through the cords of lies that the devil uses to bind the soul. The servant of the Lord should have a, a heart to see people set free from the bondage that binds the foolish and unbelieving. And all, uh, the servant can do is give out the word of God which as we wrap this up with a faithful servant, that's really ultimately what a faithful servant does is give every opportunity for people to receive the words of God. And uh And you know you don't want to do anything to get in the way of it, and you want to do everything to promote it, but at the end of the day, it is the Word of God itself that does the work and so uh, if people want to be free from the bondage that binds the, their foolishness and their unbelief, they have to receive the words of God and so all the servant can do is is give out the word, and we can't make anyone receive it, believe it, or cleave to it and That is a work that must be accomplished in their own uh soul as they receive the love of the truth and so uh, that 's where we conclude tonight. Um, if you are a son of God, which even you ladies are that, if you 're born again you 're also a servant of God. so our job is to allow people to taste and see that the Lord is good, so they will receive uh, the love of the truth and um, and you know by the way, I keep mentioning the love of the pr- truth before I jump to a verse I got a cross reference that i don 't want to uh, that's not in your notes Romans two four says that it 's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why wouldn't you want what the Lord has for you? The only reason we don't want what's best is because the devil has beguiled us from the simplicity that's in Christ. He's actively working in our hearts and minds to, t- to tell us that God is not who he says he is and that he's not good. And so uh, how can we ask others to walk by faith if we don't? And that's the p- point Paul's making to Timothy. The fruit of the faithfulness will cause him to stand boldly and strong with meekness and gentleness because he doesn't have to defend anything. He simply states the truth and lets it all rest with the Lord and the results are God's, right? So we sow uh uh and you know what? God gets the increase. Some water some sow, but God gets the increase. And that's really what he's preaching to his servant servant Timothy. So a faithful servant of the Lord identifies with his Lord. Uh he must not strive with fools, he must instruct those who oppose themselves, and he must trust God for the results. And in uh in conclusion, can you believe one sub point took that long to get through so um, so in conclusion, i got one more thing to add to that as we talk about that i just can 't help but but think about second Thessalonians uh, chapter two and, and what what Paul is speaking to there um, when he 's talking about <clears throat> um, the time that 's uh, coming here of Tribulation, Second Thessalonians chapter two. Excuse me, when he talks about the chips lying, there's coming a time that the people that won't receive the gospel, they're gonna they're gonna actually reap what they sow, and he's talking about, uh, you know. In verse 3, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, which we know clearly is Antichrist. Judas Iscariot was also called the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is referring to what's called the abomination of desolations. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, but now you know what withholdeth, that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the, which will be in the midpoint of the trib, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming, uh, even whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders." With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 10 is what I want to focus on there. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, why? Because they receive not the love of the truth. Verse 11, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they shall uh, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. And so believing the truth is a big deal. And it keeps you out of, it gets not only gets us into heaven, but it keeps us out of coming pending uh, tribulation and the wrath of God that's coming on this world in short order. So I wanted to throw that out because today is a day, I mean, there's really a need for us to earnestly pray that we get the gospel where it needs to go on time because, uh, man, the wrath of God is coming like a freight train. And people don't believe it. Uh, they just don't believe it. And it's not so much they don't believe the wrath is coming. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and they're not willing to receive that. But yet many are, so we need to make sure we get out and get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So that's my message for tonight. I'm going to shut the recorder off and we can go from there.